This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Twenty twenty, you know, I just want to go into, I want to go into it and go off the back of what I've been doing in twenty nineteen, you know, goals, assists. Um, but you know, as a team, you know, we need to, we need to get better. We know that, and um, I'm sure we will. You know, I think probably they'll uh, get a few additions in January, and you know, hopefully that will give us a bit of a boost. And yeah, you know, I just want to, I just want to hopefully fingers crossed, you know, get an England call up. That's my, that's my main thing. And keep Villa up. I mean, keep that's Villa up. That happen. unthinkable Villa going down for you. Yeah, no, that won't happen. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. Luis maybe. Jack Grealish might take it on. He does! What a hit from Jack Grealish! Aston Villa may be scrapping for survival, but they're doing it with style. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com, and we are into a new year, 2020. Hopefully we will be able to bring you some 2020 vision as we uh, try to keep it real on the show and tell it like it is. Joining me from Birmingham, Mr. Chris Budd. Happy New Year. Welcome back. And from Northern Ireland, Mr. Phil Shaw. Welcome. Thanks. Happy New Year to everyone. Coming up in the show, we'll uh, be discussing what's happened to Aston Villa since they uh, destroyed Liverpool in the uh, League Cup. Sorry, I can't call it by the sponsor's name. I think we should be like the BBC, where you don't you don't say sponsors' names. Yeah, but it's a rubbish sponsor. Oh yeah, it's just a horrible. It's, it's a the Coca Cola Cup in it. Let's be honest. <laughs> or the Milk mm-hmm. Cup. I think I stopped caring at Carling Cup. That's when I just thought, oh, and everything else after that was rubbish. Yeah, anyway, the League Cup. So after that, we we essentially faced a three-way, well, three consecutive games against the then bottom uh, 
three. And obviously, after New Year, we then took on uh, Burnley. So we'll discuss that period of games and what happened. The feeling of uh, just dropping into the relegation zone. Then, obviously, we've got the three points coming up. We'll call that Christmas period the nightmare before and after Christmas. And then the new hope uh, that the new year brought uh, and then obviously uh, we got that double whammy of injuries we'll look at some uh, interesting stats that will blow your mind about Villa's progress that perhaps we're not as bad a team as we perhaps think we are or as our league table position suggests so Phil who are you all I know about you is you became a Villa fan because of David Platt's goal against Belgium and you thought this Villa outfit looks sexy and uh, it's going to give me a bit more of a personality than if I support Manchester United and Liverpool, am I right? Yeah, well, that's basically it. <laughs> and I mean, when the thing is, I mean, when I can only imagine supporting Villa if you're from the area is you've only a couple of choices. Whenever you're yeah. in Northern Ireland, like supporting a Premier League team, there's a, a melting pot of teams. So it's actually, yeah. it's mental, especially like in primary school and secondary school. So you have big bunch of United fans, big bunch of Arsenal fans, Liverpool, of course. And then you have dotted around Villa fans, Blackburn fans, and they sort of group together as real football fans because they they know misery. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's the definition yeah. of football like fans, it. knowing misery. So, I mean... We can suffer from a distance. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, you can always understand the, the Southern uh, Irish interest in Villa just because of, obviously, in that period, well, in the 90s, shall I, let's begin there, uh, of the, the trifactor of Staunton, Houghton, McGrath, and they were the bedrock of that Irish team that did so well. In uh, Townsend in, as well. In the USA, uh, 94, wasn't it, when you yeah, beat yeah. It, uh, when they beat Italy? Mm-hmm. So how, does, how did Villa pop up on the radar at that time? It's really like it is a personal choice thing. I mean, people. It's the the style of play. What I remember about Villa, especially Was it the Graham Taylor, Graham Taylor team. Yeah, it's the Graham yeah. Taylor team, and then into the Atkinson team. Obviously, when they sold Platt and got the money to invest in the players, there was just a real sensible style of play. It was like down the wings, good midfielders breaking forward, scoring goals, and yeah. you know it was exciting. It was good to watch. It was what in your head football was. Yeah, I think Graham Taylor always said at the time, he said, you know, football's about getting the ball in the box to create as many chances as possible, you know, not overthinking it. And that didn't Mm -hmm. necessarily mean route one. It was just being effective. Yeah. And I mean, the the way over here, I mean, you're, you're actually scared nowadays to sort of engage in social media and things like that because you're not from the area you just think your opinion is going to be it's going to be shouted down just because oh you're not a local but sometimes when you're further away you, you've no backup I mean I think I know maybe yeah. four or five Villa fans that you can actually commiserate with it's not a big pool of help so you're sort of you're you're on your own in the playground yeah no ex- exactly I mean uh, I think that that premise is a massive part of uh, why I uh, started my own man said because I was always the one guy i think i always had like there was always always met somebody else like for example when i was in lincoln or australia or living in paris there was always one other villa fan that you you, i I stumbled across but mainly it was my own suffering you know that that was what aston villa was and Mm -hmm. my it was like my own personal journey i I didn't really you know share it apart from going to games i didn't really hang around uh you know load of uh villa fans because you just as you probably were surrounded by liverpool manchester united fans everywhere you know especially in those decades 
But anyway, yes. l- enough about enough about you, uh, and let's get on. Uh, we'll obviously find out more about you uh, as we go along uh, this podcast and uh, the other ones uh, in the future as well. We've had uh, patrons on actually in the last uh, last month or so, so it's good to. Uh, it's like an unexpected bonus of being a patron. It's like it's not something I advertise. It's uh, I just put out calls of calls for help. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the opportunities arrive to uh, come on the show, which is good because we want to increasingly uh, this year spread it further and wider as well as down the line. Uh, I've been purchasing a bit of equipment so we can go around Birmingham as well and uh, do proper setups uh, pretty much any location. We're just looking for decent locations. So if any listeners out there know of uh, such places, I mean, we can do it in cafes and stuff, but it's always a bit crowded, noisy. And if there's, you know, if they're putting music on in the background or something, then there's there's an issue there. So if you know of any more, let's say, quiet spots or uh, you know bars with maybe a, a quiet room upstairs or whatever, that would be a great help. So then you know people from around Birmingham can join up and uh, join join the show. We we did a trial in a, a studio uh, in Digbeth, uh, but it was free. That's why we did it. Anyway, first of all, before we uh, crack on into the show. We, we've named it the Villa Minute, but we're going to do it a Villa Week in a Villa Minute. But since it's been uh, a few weeks, we're going to do a Villa Month in a Villa Minute. So uh, Mr. Chris Budd is going to attempt to cram in what's happened uh, since last we spoke in uh, a minute. So I'm just going to get the uh, the stopwatch out. Three, two, one, go. Villa went into the festive season off the back of dismantling the European champions, the now world champions and Premier League champions elect 5-0. They lose key man McGinn to a broken ankle against Southampton as the injury woes continue. Following this, Villa's customary festive downturn was gift-wrapped as goals galore against Southampton and Watford meant Villa ended the year in the bottom three. Defeats were sandwiched between a 1-0 Boxing Day victory over Norwich. Villa gained just three points from the games against the sides in the bottom three in the process as the red flags appear and the panic starts to ramp up. Villa start 2020 with a new shape from Smith and a vastly improved performance at Burnley. Two superbly crafted goals, one off chalked off due to VAR and three points on the board. Villa find themselves out the bottom three and Hope returns to Villaverse, but at what cost? Heaton and Wesley find themselves with uh, ligament injuries and are out for the season. Another FA Cup exit to a lower division side followed at Fulham in a game oozing in apathy, meaning a huge January lies ahead for Villa in the transfer market with the opportunity to get their season back on track. Only two seconds over, but we'll uh, we'll give you that one. Let's get into the uh, the three points. Newcastle uh, have been offering season ticket holders free additional half season tickets for the second half of the season in attempt to get uh, crowds back at St James's Park. Now this is the team when they got relegated and they were with us in the championship uh, always filled out their stadium in the championship. So this is obviously a reaction to what's happened. You know, they've I think the straws uh, finally broken in terms of Mike Ashley. Steve Bruce was the straw, I think. And even though they've done, you know, I think they've done relatively well because everybody was expecting uh, them to be in the bottom three messing around, but they've spent some money, even though it's not probably effectively uh, spent. And they've had a, we'll discuss this later on in the show, but they've had a shitload of injuries uh, over the Christmas period as well. More volume than uh, in terms of length of injury. But what, I mean, what's your feelings on Newcastle, uh, Chris, uh, in terms of, I think it's 8,000 or something? Yeah, I remember we, we, yeah, we spoke about it in sort of August, September, didn't we? There's about eight and a half thousand didn't renew, which, you know, in a yeah. 50,000 seat stadium is a lot. Um, I think it's just a sign of where they're at. I mean, I, I've got numerous friends and colleagues who are Newcastle season ticket holders and they've, they've had the same seat in the family since they were born. 
They used to be yeah. like gold dust. Um, so it's 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 really come to something if people who after such a long period of time are, are just walking away either until the team has an upturn. I don't think it actually has much to do with what's going on on the field. I think it's more off the field matters. And this is, as you said, the, the sort of the last straw with um, with Mike Ashley. Um, I'm yeah. sure just, once just he quick, goes, they'll be straight back. And just quickly, Phil, do you think Steve Bruce will keep them up this season? No. I think oh. that's who we should be looking at. We should be looking, I think at least two of the three teams beneath us might end up above us so we should be looking up yeah i agree with that but they, but they've but they've beaten some uh, decent teams this season i mean they've had some good results you know we're, we're, while we're making excuses for not beating certain teams because of their you know top 5 credentials uh, newcastle have dispatched them like you know manchester united for example they're a strange but, team uh, because they'll they'll put in a performance like that one week and then they'll come to villa park where they were comfortably the worst team that have been at Villa Park this season, they were fucking dreadful. Yeah. Well, it's the easiest day's work Villa have had all season, I'd, I'd, I'd venture. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, point point number two. Point number two, uh, the MLS in America expands. Uh, Charlotte was named as the league's 30th franchise and will join the league in 2021. They will p- play all their home games at uh, Carolina Panthers, uh, the NFL team, Carolina Panthers Stadium. The- there are currently 24 teams uh, from across America and Canada playing in the MSL at the moment. Old uh, Beckham's in- it's into Miami, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, start and also Nashville have a team. They'll join the league in 2020 this year. And uh, joining Charlotte the following year will be uh, Austin as well before Sacramento and St. Louis join in 2022. Uh, just a shout out to New York City. Can you stop sending Chris Bird emails, please, trying to get him to go to games? The standard is right. bang average. <laughs> <laughs> he went once last season and uh well, We had a good afternoon been... out, well, evening out. It was great fun, but... <laughs> I'm not going to be buying a season ticket. <laughs> if you go to the bottom of the email, Chris, there's normally is an unsubscribe option there. So maybe check that one out. Right. Number three, point number three, the Slatan apparently has a statue outside of Malmo Stadium where he really got his career going. And it was sawn off at the ankles, apparently, Chris, this is, this came off your your news desk. So if you could yeah, so, elaborate. so Zlatan apparently invested in a rival club in December and, of course, the Malmo fans ah. didn't take too kindly to this. They sort of saw it as a bit of an act of Judas. They vandalised his house in Stockholm. Police have had to erect a fence around the statue when it was uh, unveiled. I think it was about October. Uh, supporters have tried to damage it on uh, on numerous occasions, but it was basically announced that he'd bought 25% of the shares in Hammerby, which, of course, is right. Malmo's rival team. So the supporters have clearly decided that, well, we're going to deface slash get rid of the Zlatan statue. Well, I thought the Swedes were nice, peace-loving people. Yeah, but, I thought they were uh, really sort of civilised and, if anything, I thought they would, have just, they would have polished it into submission. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> apparently not. But, you know, Zlatan, he probably just loves the publicity of it anyway. And, he probably, uh, knowing him, he adds... probably thought it was a shit statue anyway and wants a bigger one built. <laughs> I mean, you'd understand if it was that Ronaldo statue, it would be Ronaldo that would be actually cutting it, <laughs> cutting it off at the ankles. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, first of all, uh, because uh, the uh, the last episode uh, didn't go out, uh, I want to give a big shout out to uh, all the My Omancer patrons that were included in that shout out. Uh, thank you very much for supporting uh, our podcast and also the website uh, to allow us to put out true independent content uh, that tells it as it is and isn't just generic clickbait. Thank you very much, George Dyer. Christopher Rye Ramusson, who sent me in a very good chart uh, 
basically charting whether a villa were going to survive or not this season which you can see on the website and we'll discuss later on in the show scooter thomas rob parker thanks to you guys eleanor peters sean mahone peter frayne alex jones stephen palmer jim hodkins patrick civil con kelly and also russell sturgis thank you very much for being patrons hopefully this year we can get over the 300 mark so if you haven't joined us yet and are thinking about it please do go to myomansaid.com click on the patron option and uh, do sign up all the information is there and uh, this year we will be having uh, a lot more uh, bonus shows uh, we will be react essentially doing reaction shows to uh, the main things that happen so for example the semi-final coming up we'll do uh, a patron show straight after that we're looking at in around about probably two a week now so uh, please do sign up uh, and you'll get more podcasts as well also uh, please do spread the word as well uh, if you've got like-minded friends it's always good to uh, get the good people listening to the show and uh, so if you do see it on twitter or facebook whatever please do retweet and share Right, uh, going into uh, the meat and gravy of the show, uh, or turkey and gravy, because it was the Christmas period uh, that we'll focus on. I mean, did we we talk about that 5-0 win against Liverpool? I can't remember. You mentioned it in your uh, Villa Minute. I think we might have done, yeah. I think we kind of just skirted under it, didn't we? We were kind of so underwhelmed by it, and we, we thought it should have been double figures anyway, so... Yeah, we should have been we should have been make we should have been making a statement there. But this is the thing, it was the same well, while we're here. It was the same guys that played against Fulham in the FA Cup. We're only in that semi final because we've played youth teams pretty much or second string teams. Even, you know, crew were putting out a second string team against us all the way through to the semi-final, which is bizarre, really, because when you go back to, you know, our last wins in this in this competition in the 90s, they were, you know, they were real motherfuckers to get through. There were some epic games all, all the way through the uh, the actual run. I mean, the 94-1, I think we discussed this on the uh, the Patreon Extra show, was against, before the, uh, the, the Tramia Rovers semi-final, you know, we had to go away to Arsenal, we had to go away to Spurs. There was an epic, battle at Sunderland which although I think it ended up 4-1 to Villa we I think we took our four chances and they had they didn't take their 25 chances and Bosnick uh, saved us and we had a double header against the Blues as well in that so when you got to the final against Manchester United having gone through the heart attack that was the Tramia Rovers semi-final you felt like you really earned that win and this is uh, it's almost like we've sneaked a bye through a back door and suddenly we're in the semi-final but that said the players that have got us there just really haven't staked their claims. So here we are with all these injuries cropping up and you're thinking you should be in the position where you're thinking, well, you know, Lansbury's done all right. And, you know, Codger's, you know, he scored a hat-trick against uh, Liverpool uh, under 12s or whatever, but we're not in that position because those players just didn't look interested or were totally ineffective in all the League Cup games and the Fulham game, you know, more recently. I mean, did did you see the Fulham game, Phil? Yeah, I seen uh, as much of it as I, as I could watch. It was just it was just disappointing because anybody that's played sport at any level, if they were in the second team and for some reason managed to get a chance in the first team, 
you know, they bust a gut to show that they should be there. I mean, you're looking at players like Lansbury, um, El Ghazi. I mean, I know El Ghazi does start for the first team sometimes, but I mean, this was their real chance to go for it. And they just, they just don't. You know, James Chester, this is the only football he's going to get. I mean, you know, you, you can't really blame him because he's uh, stuck in the middle of uh, rock and a hard place. But, you know, it was a, it's a great chance for people like Codger, especially because A, if he's not got a future at Villa, he's got to find a club. If it's not in this window, it will be at the end when he's a free agent. But people now, you know, their first word they say is, oh, our priorities, we've got our priorities. But if we get through to the next round, you take the game as it comes. If we are, if we've got three other more important games in that, you know, two week period, you just put whoever is available or, you know, in the under 18s or whatever in that, you know, in that game, it doesn't really matter. It's an extra game where these players that are on the fringes can come up to speed. But you look at those two team sheets and where Fulham are and you thinking our second team should beat Fulham's second team because they're getting fucking paid to beat them. <laughs> but anyway, it, it's still bitter. I mean, you know, I, I was I was going to go to that game. I, I was thinking, I think we mentioned this to Chris. I was thinking, yeah, let's, I fancy a trip. There's a, you know, the, the Liam, uh, who's a patron, was over from Australia and he was going to the game and I messaged him and I said, yeah, I'm going to the game. Unfortunately, I got food poisoning two days before when, when I was sorting out my travel and uh, going to book a ticket. I was going to go in the Fulham end. There was a few villains in there and uh, I just thought what you know maybe this is a good sign this food poisoning because what am I doing they're not going to bother as Dean Smith said you know it's lost its sparkle the tournament basically read between the lines he's not interested in it and uh, all the BBC have got they're desperately I think you know I'm joking but they're desperately trying to trademark the, the magic of the cup because that's all they can fucking say every year to try to you know salvage the situation because that's the only thing they've got coverage on yeah and, the, the uh, absolute the absolute joy that the BBC sort of commentators on final score had whenever um, Fulham took the lead. I mean, that trotted out the old lines, which one is the Premier League team? Conveniently yeah. forgetting that Sheffield Wednesday were beating Brighton at exactly the same time. I mean, it didn't It didn't even come as a shock, did it? It's like you look at no. a Premier League team losing to a, a championship side now. Isn't it a shock unless it's sort of City or you know, one of the real big boys? A second string yeah. Villa side going to play at Craven Cottage when everyone knows they're not asked. It's... I thought we'd go there and lose. So did I. It's just kind of the whole game, the whole event just had its stank of apathy, didn't it? Just no one was asked. And this is happening, you know, this is happening across the country in, in many a game that involves a Premier League uh, team. But the situation is you've got the previews and the build-up and they're all talking about oh, giant, all the cliches about giant killing. Oh, what's the most likely giant killing game here? Blah, 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 blah. What they're not doing, what they should be doing is researching all the Premier League teams, under-23 teams, so they have knowledge of the actual players that are actually going to play rather than talking about them in generic terms that they're a Premier League team. Well, they're doing well. They're, you know, eighth in the Premier League, so has this team that's top in the championship got a chance? It's like, well, that's not how it's going to work out because it depends who's going to field what, and you can kind of have a guess at who's going to field what. And so have some knowledge about what's actually going to happen rather than just come out with the old cliches and you know fulfill the myth anyway enough about the fa cup we're not interested anymore even though that's the only thing i want to see us win uh, in the rest of my lifetime and that will complete the set but uh, it looks unlikely at this point in time christmas we're not going to go through the games individually because obviously we've all been there seen that but uh, i got the first it was the first time i got the sinking feeling and the realization that uh, actually relegation could you know actually have our name on it because after watford i didn't expect to win against watford I, I, I mean, I, I said to somebody, we're going to get beat 3-0, and, and that's actually what happened. Uh, the only bad point was I didn't put any money on it. But the, Saint, the Saints game, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect to be just squ- swatted away. And the effort 
by the Villa players. That's what made me think we're not going to get anything at Watford because I've been saying on the show already that Watford are a you know a sleeping bear that's about to awake and they're going to make a fight of this. And then it's obviously when Nigel Pearson walked in, you thought, right, this is uh, they're going to. I wouldn't put money on them to finish in the bottom three. Put it that way. Well, they've got a, they've got one or two good players. You know, you got people like Delafaye who are really class yeah. players. Deeney's always going to get them goals, and that's the one thing. And he'll been fight. Lacking. Yeah, and he gives and he gives them fight, and, and he's been obviously Pearson missing. Will, yeah, that's what Pearson will give them, and it's the same with Southampton. They've kind of got their you know, got their house in order and they've got a few good players and they've got probably the, the informed striker in the league at the moment. Because those teams went into the uh, the season, you know, with different managers thinking, right, we're going to try this, we're going to do this. You know, delusions of grandeur from what they've been doing in recent seasons. And now they're in the stage where they're all fucked up and they're just getting back to the basics. And they've actually got squads that if they get back to the basics, they'll be quite effective as we found out. But Phil, did you get that sinking feeling about relegation in that period over Christmas? Yeah, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit, admit that after the Watford game, that was when I, I snapped. I didn't take a step back. I put up in the Mad Few group that I thought it was time for Smith to go. I that mean, was you, I sh- was it? Yeah, it was. I mean, <laughs> shoot, shoot me down now, but that, that was at the time. I just, I get this feeling that they don't believe. I mean, it's, it could be a good thing. I, I hope I'm proven wrong. They get this, you just get this feeling that they don't believe that they're in a relegation battle yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, just to say, just quickly, Ed, that was that was the the feeling I got off Perslow in this the last fan consultation group meeting. It was because you know he's thinking and rightly so that his mission is to take Villa back into the elite, and that's how he already sees the club, which is a good thing because many haven't. Maybe it's a reflection on his own ego how he wants to be seen as well. But at the same time. Uh, that kind of breeds a complacency because like the last crew, they didn't really have a contingency plan if it goes tits up. So we're here thinking that we've just spent over 130 million. That should see us right, even though obviously you've got to factor in the variables of you've got to knit a team together and it's not that easy. But uh, yeah, when when you're talking about the transfer window and he's thinking, yeah, maybe one or two, but it's not a window that really, you know, you plan for in any great... uh, detail but now it's a different picture because I asked him about you know the timing of the new contract for Smith because I didn't think he'd actually earned it at a Premier League level if you, if you know what I mean I, you know very thank you very much getting us promoted and ahead of schedule I would probably add but they picked that they picked their moment they picked their moment in the run of games where Newcastle was potentially the only one we could win and that was the one we did win and it was announced straight after that and you think this stinks a bit of giving Lambert a new contract after dragging us through the mud and then suddenly being unbeaten in the first four games of a season and then suddenly that warrants a new contract and then he never wins again but sorry going back to uh, Smith out yeah (laughs) Um, it's just He's the sort of manager that he's almost too, I don't want to say too nice, it's the wrong sort of word. He, he does everything by the book. I mean, you look at his teams, I mean, when, when Leeds scored that goal against us last season, he was genuinely aggrieved. It's probably the angriest I've seen him. Yeah. He's, he's a real sportsman. So you just think, I've seen Chris say it before in his post that there's a naivety about the team. They won't do the foul in the opposition half. They won't do it in the halfway line. They'll, they'll stumble into it on the outside of our box. And something like that. They just there's no gamesmanship, there's no game management, no time wasting. I mean, to use an old Bruceism, we don't box clever. If mm-hmm. we if, if we if we're going to make a stupid mistake, we won't do it in the other team's penalty area. We'll do it in a, on the day or in our own penalty area. And that's yeah. kind of a little bit. Smith's very sort of um, it's very idealistic in the way he plays. You now I've got my way of playing, and I know how I want the game played. Whereas you look at someone like Pearson on the flip side, and he'll, let's be honest, Watford aren't a better team than us. 
they're just smarter than us and they wanted it more. And that's the thing that really aggrieves me. I'm sure it aggrieves yourselves. A lot of the other mm-hmm. supporters, it's it's the it's not losing games, but it's the manner of them. And don't yeah. if you're gonna go down, go down fighting. And that was the thing that you could always throw at someone like um like Cardiff last year, you know, they were a dreadful football team at Premier League level, awful. But they'd give everybody a game. They just lacked in quality. We've we've shown on infinite amounts of occasions this year already we've got loads of quality but actually we're lacking in fight yeah we won't do the simple things well and discipline but also uh and it got worse and worse and worse uh, in in the lead up to christmas just this sloppiness and how we gave the ball away i mean we've already dissected this the whole concept of what smith team allegedly is meant to be about and that's controlled possession and we found ourselves, I mean, bewilderedly, we had players that were bought. And, and that's probably top of the list, must be a ball player. And, you know, eight-yard passes going astray where your man's in the clear as well, who you pass into. And it's just, you're just scratching your head to think, what, you know, what what's going on here? These are routine passes. It's not rocket science. And then suddenly it ends up in, the, you know, our net. And it's just cheap goals. I mean, fair enough if you're trying something audacious and, you know, he gets cut out and then the, the, the guy puts his uh, forward on the shoulder through and he scores. Fair enough, you know, suck a punch but we were gifting goals and it was just this this is you know this is just kind of slackness i mean at least fulham had to actually hit two worldies of you know a couple of rockets from 25 30 yards to win the game even though we were dreadful the actual goals that won that game were at least you go fair play they were both brilliant can't argue yeah that, no, ex- but- yeah exactly but then just the response from the in, in just using that game there, there doesn't seem to be that kind of grit anymore i mean we, we no. we'd always talk about a smith team in the context of the championship but they weren't winning ugly and then in that 10 game run where they won every game they did start to do that against Rotherham they dug in you know they were playing they they, you know they played badly against West Brom got it over the line well over two legs as well yeah and uh, so they had that grit and then you thought okay this this is an involvement we're seeing a side of Smith that we perhaps haven't seen it before in you know in his career and uh, it's fair enough but we're learning about Smith as we go along because he's in a in a league he hasn't been in before so I mean to go back to uh, Phil's position of Smith I was I, you know I've said this maybe it was to fill in the comments it was definitely somebody on the website comments where I said look Smith got us up a season ahead of schedule and we you kind of you want to back your own man you've got to stand by him i said you don't we wouldn't be very good in the trenches if a sun, suddenly you go on your first bad run and suddenly the wolves are out and the pitchforks are out and it's like well don't people back each other anymore in adversity to get through this because we've shown there is kind of quality there as we've just said and it just needs a you know some tweaks or whatever less stubbornness here you know period of reflection and what's what's going wrong and uh, you you know you should allow a, a guy a chance to dig himself out rather than chopping and changing all the time which has got us you know absolutely nowhere at the same time i said he's unproven so he has to prove himself but you know, give him, you know, he warrants giving him a chance, surely. And then I, I was told, well, I was told, well, you're digging yourself a hole there. This is this binary thinking. Every, why does everybody have to think in binary thinking? Like you're wrong or you're right. You're wrong or you're right. I've already, you know, said that he needs to prove himself and he better, you know, better start getting onto that uh, quick. But at the same time, uh, you don't cut his head off now. It's, uh, you know, the whole structure of Aston Villa now is built around him being the head of the rebuilding of Villa into uh, a team that, uh, you know, is a top six and recognise where it used to be. Well, and he wants to build a club, doesn't he? He's not, he's, you know, he talks about things like building a culture. I mean, one of the, the my takes, I'm not going to dwell on the FA Cup, but I'm going to make the one point. If you want to talk about culture, you saw Liverpool playing the kids against Everton and the work rate from a bunch of kids to win that ball back 
and through the team that runs from the senior squad, the under twenty threes, right through the teenagers. You could have put anybody into that team, and the the culture of if we lose the ball, we're getting it straight back, and we are going to press and press and press. For some reason, Villa have stopped doing that. We've I've kind of bored myself the last few weeks saying how passive Villa are. We just sit. We're in that game against Liverpool. Liverpool had more possession than us in the 5-0. And they impressed me, those those young kids, more than the fucking Villa players did. And you look at the scoreline and you think, oh, it's walk in the park. But if that Villa team was as dynamic, and we're talking about the second string here, and as you, as you alluded to, culture, that fucking second string should be playing as the first team's men are play. And it should run down to the under-23s. And this is something where we sit down for, for the last three years in those fan consultation group meetings, first with Steve Round and Wyness, where they're talking about the Villa engine and, uh, yes, what's, uh, how we see the first team will be replicated all the way down so the kids, as they come through, will be playing that way, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, four or five levels down. And this is exactly what we're being told, uh, you know, by Perslow as well. And you're thinking, well... When I, you know, when you see these players, there's there's no fucking through line, mainline culture in this this club at this point in time. The Wolves game was terrible. We won it, yeah, okay. The Liverpool game terrible. We won it, okay. But we're going to get found out, and you know, in the semi final for sure. He says, tempting absolutely, fate. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, to, to touch on Phil, show, I mean, I'm I'm very much Smith in, but what I am also is on the flip side of that, I am very pro Smith evolving. You know, we want the team yeah. to evolve, but he's will be learning very quickly that he's going to have to as well. You know, he's got Richard O'Kelly next to him. He hasn't coached at this level either, so he's learning. John Terry's a new coach. Now he's a serial winner as a player. That doesn't always translate. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. But on the flip side of that... uh... There was an involvement because obviously Smith had a look what he had available. Obviously, you know, we've lost uh, John McGinn at this point. And going into that Burnley game, when I saw that formation and I thought, hey, he's playing three centre-backs, it actually made sense. And suddenly I thought, actually, I fancy ourselves to uh, get something from this because it was very doom and gloomy uh, going into that Burnley game. And you thought, well, this is good. 
and then you suddenly, you know, you started to watch that game, and you know, as the minutes uh, chunks of the game went by, you thought, actually, this this kind of makes sense because you've got Mings obviously coming back, which was a big factor to allow him to do this. But he he's a marshal, he, you know, he's a general, he organizes the defense, and he's the tough guy. Where House and Konza don't really convince me as as a hardened centre back unit. I mean, they're there because they can obviously they're on the ball as well. But as a three, any any one of those three centre backs can step up into the midfield and play the ball and you know get the game going. Grealish doesn't have to be picking up the ball, you know, off centre backs. He can kind of you know stay up because those full backs are natural, you know, the, the most natural ball players we've had for a long time since Gareth Southgate. But also at the same time, it shores up the uh, the weakness of the full backs when they're defending and allows the natural uh, attacking target and Gilbert to actually bomb on and have cover. So that shows up, which has been a massive weakness. We, I mean, the amount of times we've been counterattacked on, and people have, you know, players have just teams have cut through Villa like butter. And he thought that's actually going to sort us out there. You've obviously got Nakamba and uh, Louise in there, which kind of nullifies not having McGinn there because you've got Grealish coming off the left. He's not, you know, he looks like he's on the left wing just in, uh, you know, the pre-match team lineups or whatever but he's actually playing a hell of a lot closer to Wesley and he's got that free role and it all kind of linked up Trezeguet was uh, getting involved and linking up with Wesley as well and through this formation suddenly you saw the light at the end of the tunnel of how Wesley gets involved and becomes more impactful and uh, it was all going great guns and they even uh, you know were res- resilient enough to hold on to the w- the lead after they obviously conceded one Nyland was looking all right as well after Heaton went off. But that was the problem. You think there's light at the end of the tunnel and then you thought, oh shit, this is Villa. We've just lost Wesley and Heaton and it's at, you know, to the end of the season. And suddenly you're back in that doomsday scenario. Because I was thinking, looking at that formation and how we dealt with Burnley, I thought, actually, we've got a chance against Leicester now. If we play this formation, they're not going to run riot and we're not going to be so open against them as we were at Villa Park and if we can keep that first game tight buy yourself time to buy a striker or two for the return leg and you know you never know but did you get mixed messages as well Phil from that game the hope and then having it kind of pulled away yeah well I mean there, there's a couple of things that I haven't really seen mentioned about the Burnley game I mean if Douglas Louise had a brought his shooting bits with him there wouldn't have been any tension it would have been 4-0 yeah I mean he had the chance yeah, just after half time and then one right at the end and all in all it was it was a really really good performance I mean luckily I edited my post saying that I was far too hasty before the Burnley <laughs> game so um it, it was knee jerk I was out shopping I was listening to the Watford game on the radio so I, I was on the edge already so but no, I mean, the Burnley game gave me a lot of hope. And then, like you said, the injuries just sort of put a sickener on it. I mean, the Wesley one, I mean, you could talk all day about the tackle, but he, he knew what he was doing. He was he was putting a mark on Wesley. I mean, I don't think there's intention for that level of injury, but yeah. there's always the chance of it when you go in at that yeah, speed. No, yeah, the thing with the, the tackle was, if you sort of see, if you roll it back a couple of frames, it sort of showed Wesley's lack of sort of killer instinct to get there because actually if he gets there a stride earlier he either gets the ball and doesn't get injured but he almost stops and because it's his trailing leg that has stopped his his leg is basically locked static so as soon as the guy was it was Ben Mee wasn't it goes yeah. through him his knee's going to give way whereas actually if he keeps moving he probably gets there first you're victim blaming I can't believe it yeah what Wesley playing dead again <laughs> That's what I thought when he we went down. We live in down, compensation thought, culture, David. When when I, when he, when I when he first went down, I thought, well, we all know, you know, he's playing dead. And then when uh, Douglas Louise went up to him and started holding his head, I thought, ah, maybe he isn't playing. Yeah, and the dead, Heaton unless... one was just 
unless Louise Annoying. is in on it and they're taking it up to another level, maybe. I don't know why he did it last time. Who was it? It was against Burnley again, was it? I can't remember. Yeah, it was something ridiculous, wasn't it? Yeah, the head injury. Yeah, but yeah, no. That and when yeah, when the ball hit him in the face, and uh, <laughs> you, you saw, you know, you saw that it didn't. You know, you saw him wincing before it came to him, so he was expecting it. it wasn't like it was like a shot out of nowhere. But anyway, uh, the heat and t- I mean, so in terms of the impact of those two injuries, for me, the Wesley one's the bigger one. Even though, you know, Heaton's, uh, I mean, Heaton's got a bit of a track record for injury. That's why he kind of fell from grace at, uh, and gave Pope his chance at Burnley. So, uh, it's, and it's the second injury he's had this season. So, you, I think you're going to need a good backup with Heaton full stop. And that's something that uh, Smith will obviously learn. I mean, obviously, he came into a squad and we already had three goalkeepers who were meant to be uh, the number one at, you know, one stage or the other. But Neeland, for me, has so far, he hasn't put a foot wrong this season i mean he's had a long no. rehabilitation and that's obviously gave him a chance to reappraise his uh, approach to goalkeeping in the english game and obviously he's under new tutelage as well with uh, neil cutler and co so it's not an extreme need i mean this whole butland thing i mean the, you know that every time that's a window, bollocks isn't it every time a new window comes the first round of rumors are the old rumors from the previous window so that's what we're kind of getting now and uh, butland's I'm sorry, but if you can't even get in the Stoke team, and he's you know he was in and out of it, like Hogan, it's not as if they suddenly come to Villa, who are in the Premier League levels above, and suddenly there's some kind of saviour out of nothing. It's that's not going to happen. I mean, Jed Steer coming back in February gives them a little bit of uh, leeway there to go with uh, Nylands, and then you've got uh, the Kalinic situation. And if they get rid of uh, Kalinic, which I think was always the intention for January, then you might. Th- they might think about getting a loan in keeper, but I think that's only if something's available. That's you know as at least good as uh, Neeland. No, I think I think most supporters hope that Neeland comes to the fore, don't they? I think he's got all the attributes too. Everyone just hopes he sort of gets it right in his head and obviously gets a bit of luck with injuries this time. And um, I think I think he'll get I think he'll get a good. Sarkic coming from Livingston, uh, you know, is another indication that we'll go with what we've got as well. Because he was doing all yeah. right at Livingston, and uh, he was somebody that obviously they didn't want to give up, and they didn't want to see him go back to Villa because he was, uh, and he, you know, got into the Montenegro uh, team as well, and he, you know, he's, he's still in his early twenties. Now, I think I think they'll know that they need cover for. They would, I think, regardless, they were always going to go out and prop up the forward line. That was a given, whether Wesley hadn't got injured, and I think yeah. post the McGinn injury, they will probably be look, looking for some kind of cover. In midfield, that's loan. Yeah, yeah. You and, don't. You yeah. can't go out and buy a like for like replacement for John McGinn. You just don't. And uh, in terms of uh, you know, you don't drop another thirty thousand a week wages and you know another transfer fee on a goalkeeper because it's just bad business. If you've got uh, that many on your books already, you've got to use them and utilize them or ship them out. Especially when if if Perslow's kind of business model is to be. You know, believed most of those guys aren't going to have a resale value. Like when it comes to the point that we are selling Tom Heaton, the reality is we aren't going to make profit on him. We just hope he pays for himself. You know, in his performance and what he brings to the team, which I'm sure, you know, he will. You know, Jed Steer, you're not going to be making big money on him. I'd be staggered if we made a profit on Kalinic or Neeland. Yeah, you know, I mean, Neeland's best chance uh, is to obviously stay at this club and actually. 
become the goalkeeper that we yeah. hoped uh, he'd been because we are rebuilding and you know what happened in the summer isn't the end product and so in terms of the forward areas that's where we needed people anyway so we're always going to spend money so that's something that if somebody comes up you know ideally one for the next four years then we'll buy him so that that's not so much a problem they just need more of you know they'll need two strikers now at least in terms of players uh, that are in the the January transfer mix that have been mentioned so far you know give, give me a few names okay well the the main talking has been Giroud and I think Benteke is going to come back into the conversation especially if uh, Palace get Batshuayi again and I, I really don't see why everybody sort of jumped on Batshuayi as the savior because other than some movement I haven't seen anything from him that would you know guarantee a survival I mean it just seems to be something different yeah, I mean, I can see I, I, if we got him in alongside with uh, Wesley as a as another option, then then I think that's kind of fair enough. Uh, let's, I mean, let's go back to the Giroud thing. What what do you think, Chris, of Giroud? I mean, he's thirty three. Let's put it in context. Yeah, 33, I mean, I, he hasn't I th- played that I think, much. Um, I think he's the short term bet, but he's probably the one when you look down the list and go, well, who's the for what we need right now? Who is the banker? You know, who's going to come in? And if you give him service, will he score goals? And traditionally, if you give Giroud service, he will score goals. So. I'd put him at the top of the list. Benteke could be the kind of player, I think, just coming back to Villa and he would come back and get a great reception. It could give him a, a lease of life and some confidence, but it's a huge risk. The thing with Benteke, I'd want to, I mean, I can't sit here and tell you if it would be a good move or not because I'd want to sit down with him. I want to know where his head's at. But- injuries, first of all, I want to go through exactly what he's, you know, since he's left Villa, really, what what, what happened there, where his head's at. I just want to know from his point of view what why he thinks it's kind of gone wrong because I'm sorry but when he was uh, at Villa he was unstoppable he could take teams on on, him, on his own as I always used to say if you got Benteke in your team you can beat anybody on his day yeah so agree. if somebody offered you him at a decent price you'd say yeah I'll take him and I you know take him and I'll take Giroud but I don't think Palace would loan as Benteke because why would you because they're still obviously got one eye on potential relegation so they've got to make sure they're not making somebody stronger yeah. In terms of Giroud, I, you know, if that was the only striker we got, then you know, having a 33-year-old as your lone striker, asking him to play week in, week out, trying to do high press and all that kind of stuff, just not going to work. I think you need him. Uh, I think if we had Wesley and then you brought in Giroud as well, then suddenly you've, you've got him. You can either start him in some games, bring him off the bench, and the others. And it's, uh, it's you know, it's, it's a great op- You know, it's a great signing, but to have him uh, as the only focus of attack. I think he would. He'd become a. He'd become a very interesting prospect if you knew that Trezeguet and Algarzi were consistent. You know, if you had seven, eight out of ten players either side of him every week, and Grealish, you know, in the new formation, he would probably work in that one. This sort of the 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 Jared Bowen option is an interesting one in that he does score goals. But Ben Rama has been mentioned again, who hasn't been pulling up any trees for Brentford. I just fear that we're going down the hope that, you know, a championship player makes the step up and where we're at right now, we need that banker. You know, like when we bought Darren Bent, we knew we were getting a goal scorer and goals yeah. we got. You know, it's like we, we can't really afford to take the risk on potential at this point. We've done that with too many players already. Are you thinking anything, Phil, at the moment? Yeah, well, I mean, if if Pearson hadn't taken over Watford, I would have gone straight in for Delafeu, just just a, a double barrel. It would have it would have saved us and it would have sunk them. You know, you could say the same about Ings, but the the player that I I like is uh, Easy or EZE as it's spelled at QPR. I think he's yeah. he's going to be a you know a proper star and he's going to go to he big de- teams. He destroyed us, didn't he? Yeah, if you can if Twice. you can get get him somehow. 
then I'd even go I'd even go for Jay Rodriguez at Burnley if it's even possible. I mean, we should have went for him if, if they got him for ten million or whatever the deal was. Hate him or not, he's he will score goals. I mean, there was a lot of links with the guy, you know, the uh, the, the chap at, uh, at Rangers, but I think to, to pry him away from where he is in a potentially what is a championship winning side, I think you're going to get your pants pulled down. Yeah, El Buffalo is going to be uh, a red card every other week, I would say as well. And and again, there's 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 no guarantee, is there? There's no guarantee that someone who's scoring goals in Scotland in a crap league is going to come down in the Premier League and score goals straight away. Yeah, well, even our own Irish league, there was a, a Twitter ITK fake rumour on Friday, I think it was. I mean, Cliftonville are top of the league in the Irish league here. And their striker, Joe Gormley, I mean, his nickname's Joe the Goal. I mean, he, he is far too <laughs> he is far too good for the Irish league by a, a million miles, but he's been he's had homesickness problems. And like he was linked with Villa and he actually replied beneath it, you know, Jokingly, fingers crossed, lads. Hope it all works out. I got there, and then it goes today. I, I failed my medical. I took a Viagra and with failed it with a stiff neck. So, but hmm. I, I tell you what, if, if he'd have got El Ghazi's <laughs> chance, he he would have scored it on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the the, the big thing for me is is regardless of the the, the name is you, you're looking for someone who brings energy because you're lacking energy in Wesley, and you've got to make up for the lack of McGinn. It's you know you want that kind of live wire up front. I mean, people have even starting to mention, uh, well, what about bringing Scott Hogan back? Hmm. But if I mean that's the thing, like uh, you're just talking about, you know, uh, sorry, what's the Irish guy's name? Joe Gormley. That's what we thought we were getting in Scott Hogan, just an out and out goal scorer. That's what they. That's what it says on the, you know, well, the tin. That's just, what Brentford had. That's all he fucking does is score goals, and that's that's what we need. I mean, we I think we need options. Uh, you know, when you you see these teams and they're bringing on the big lads so they can lump it into the box and chase the game in the last five minutes, we need to do, be able to do that. We, you know, we need options to do different things. We need that just out and out goal scorer who, you, even if he hasn't started, you can throw him on because you know that if he gets that fucking one chance that El Ghazi gets or Trezeguet gets, he's going to put it in the back of the net and not balloon it over. And this is, so we, I think we, we definitely need two, three forward options. You need just, to talk. You just need, you just need firepower in in general, I mean, I'd, I'd yeah. be looking at someone like I don't, know, I don't know what the, the transfer kit is. You would get him because you'd want to come, but someone like a Joe Lolly yeah. scores goals, makes goals, dynamic player. You know full well a player like that is going to come to Villa Park and he is going to put a shift in, even if he's lacking in Premier League quality. He's going to go for it because it's such a big move for him. We'll we'll send them Henry Lansbury as part of the trade. Oh, too right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm, and unfortunately, you're looking at. Is there anybody in the under 23s? Well, there's no one pulling up any trees. People were talking, you know, there was the lunatics who were talking about, yeah, let's get Andre Green back. He's the answer to our problems yeah. on the wing. I don't think so. Where did he end up? Charlton, was it? Because he couldn't get exactly. about to play. I think he started two games for Preston. I mean, he hasn't got injured yet, which is a huge breakthrough for him. But yeah, and even, you know, the likes of your Blackett Taylors, your Hepburn Murphys, these guys are not pulling up trees anywhere on loan. Yeah, no, exactly. Delfonso scoring for Blackpool, though. <laughs> O'Hare, maybe at Coventry. It's Probably time to not. resurrect Delfonso. Is he? Did we put him out on loan, or did we actually sell him? Yeah, do we, we still put... own him? Who, who knows? <laughs> he's, I think he's on his zero hours contract, isn't he? Like everybody we're, else in Blackpool, on a career loan. The recall clause is: if you score sixty goals a season for uh, Blackpool, then you're back in the Villa squad. Give you give you a carrot. What do you think of uh, the wide options we have at the moment, Phil? There aren't any. That's that's the problem. I mean, <laughs> Yotta. I'm so I'm so disappointed in Yotta after that Everton game because uh, yeah, he's got- in stature, in stature he's got nothing. But he, you'd think because of that he has the trickery to get himself out of trouble, and he looked like he did in that Everton game. But ever since that, you know, a gust of wind blows him over, and he just he just walked past him. El Ghazi. 
people say it's like a, a lack of confidence. I think it's it could be overconfidence. It's chance against Fulham. I mean, put your foot through it. Just do anything other than thinking that you can perfectly side foot this into the bottom. Yeah, corner. both his and Trezeguet's final product, end product, and I'm talking about you know shots on goal essentially is not what you expect at this level. No, I mean, look at his, look at some of the goals that El Ghazi scored last season. I mean, that's when probably he didn't have confidence. He was he was really lashing at the ball. Now it's like maybe he's he thinks he's made it and it's he thinks he can be that precise. Yeah. It's a strange it's a strange way of looking at it, but he he very lacks the when he hit the bar against Leicester. Don't know what he was doing. No idea. I remember we commented last year about El Ghazi that as soon as the weather improved, his performances did as well. And I remember I think it was Neil Taylor on some kind of video sort of made a very semi-joking comment about that sort of alluded to the same thing that oh you know as soon as spring comes Al Ghazi seems to come to life maybe we need to start getting winter loans in just to cover uh, Al Ghazi's uh, absence uh, just some stats just to uh, give us something f- fresh to talk about here and maybe try to f- explain why this is happening up to half time if games ended after 45 minutes Aston Villa would be fifth in the Premier League at this moment in time they would have won but they've only won. They've only won two extra games, and the big difference is obviously uh, we'd have lost seven less, and that just shows that we are good starters in games, and you know that's the proven fact because we are the fifth best in the league in the first half. But you, you can, you know, you can say there's a novelty value to that because obviously there's more goals in the second uh, second half. You know, traditionally that's kind of what happens, but. Then if you look at a table, if games were 80 minutes, so if games would end, final whistles blown on 80 minutes, Villa would be seventh in the league, which is pretty astounding when you compare, you know, see what we're actually doing at the moment. I mean, the funniest thing is Wolves would be uh, in the relegation zone and they are considered to be having a great season at the moment or a decent one. So we we are falling apart in the last 10 minutes that this is our Achilles heel so what do you put that down to it's the th- I, I personally i think it's the theme we've spoken about in nearly every week it's this thing of control and if you can control the ball you know this ball retention game we keep talking about you look at city liverpool they can grind you down because they're always in control of the game and they're not overexpending themselves we seem to play as you see in the stats we play this crash bang wallop especially in the first sort of 3 months of the season this hugely high-intensity pressing game, getting after teams, going on the front foot, and then we just run out of steam because we don't have anything off the bench to go through the gears. You saw that in the first game at Tottenham. We were superb for an hour. And then as soon as, you know, the difference, I think we brought on, I can't remember who we brought on. They brought off, um, they brought Christian Eriksen off the bench. I mean, the golfing class to go through the gears that Tottenham had was ridiculous. It was the same, you know, when we played against Liverpool, Arsenal. These guys have got quality coming off the bench. We have nothing coming off the bench, so we we don't improve. There's two Dean Smith quotes that I always come back to. One where he said he was happy with the strikers he had when pretty much 95% of the fan base said, no, we need another striker and we fucking need it immediately. This is at the, before the season started. And the other other one was uh, the quote where he said, when I look over my shoulder at the bench, I see quality. There's nothing there. There's no other, no. there's nothing to flip it up, change it, to solidify it. You know, like even, you know, the Bruce basic thing, oh, bring on Yedinak for the last 10 minutes. At least there was a plan there or bring on Whelan. Yeah. I mean, our only influence is if we leave Horahan on the bench and he can come on and influence set pieces or, you know, nick a goal. 
we're talking about up to 18 minutes, we would be seventh. Horahan, normally, if we're chasing a game, he comes on. So we're talking about how do we, you know, seal out those last 10 minutes? Yeah. Well, how do we manage a game, as as we said earlier? Because a lot of the time, as you said, it's blood and thunder or under the cosh. I mean, that Spurs example is a very good one because obviously a lot of that, why we were one up for so long, was down to Mings and uh, Engels just headering the bugger out every time it came in yeah. and getting so many blocks in. So in that scenario, you're going to wear out mentally and they get you in the end is the uh, yeah. the normal And as we, you know, we, we, we discussed earlier in the season about our possession stats, you know, for a team that wants to have the ball and be dominant, most games we're surrendering 55, 60% of the possession. And you're this is the majority. It, you, Yeah, you are going to find it very difficult to win games of football like that. We, I know you can do that if you were like Leicester when you've got Vardy and you can no, you, you devastate need the sting. on the break. Yeah. yeah, we're not devastating on the break. Villa under Lambert, I remember writing a couple of articles about this, would head the amount of goals, counter-attack goals. So even though we were, you know, struggling, we we had the bit, you know, we had a punch at least. So we, you well, know, we, we had could... the likes of, you know, we had Gabby and Vime, and you have these guys who'd go in behind. We don't have that. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, Phil, can you see uh, why? I mean, are you surprised that we would be seventh if games finished on the 80th minute? No, n- not at all. I mean, for me, it's a narrative for me. After that Spurs game, if you are a manager or a scout on one of the other teams, you look at that and your your knee-jerk reaction is, Villa are going to start well, get at them after the break. Yeah. And it's just been like that. I mean, if you set that narrative, you see pundits start to pick up on it. No matter how bad the pundit is, they'll eventually pick up on it. And the more that it's out there, that's the mindset the other teams are coming in with. So it's very much the case. So, I mean, that's what the Burnley game was so special. I mean, yeah. it could hopefully it's not a flash in the pan, but it was such a surprise. And like everybody was like, oh, what happened to Villa there? They, they toughed it out. They held on. You know, they looked... You know, re- even though we were under the cosh from aerial balls, we still looked like we had the legs in the last few yeah, minutes. Because the first Burnley game at Villa Park was an example of what we've just been talking about, how we just can't see it out. And that was against a team that just made a basic switch of just let's get it in the fucking box, in the mixer, bring on two uh, big men. And uh, that was their simple uh, solution to better us. So it ended up in a draw, but obviously that's more, you know, that was, that was what they actually wanted to get at least something from the game. And that was a game normally that, uh, a home game against Burnley if you've got any ambitions you should be seeing out if you're in the lead in it and there's a little bit of sort of Smith's naivety comes into it that you know when, when other managers make a change and can see what Villa are doing and kind of have a plan to counter it Smith clearly had a plan when he went to Burnley in the first half and then Sean Dyche actually knocked his team into shape in the second and I thought they were the much better side in the second half I thought we actually held firm but Burnley clearly played to their strengths but because we, we don't often have that plan B, we can't change in game or be as reactive and we can't be proactive with our subs. Yeah, there's no quality on the bench to do anything. Or even or just even shape, if, though, either. We don't change shape. We've got two players for each position, but there's a drop of quality. And those players, when they play in games like against Fulham, they're just not showing that. You know, They're not dynamic. They're not motivated. They don't seem to be you know, hungry. They're not playing as they should be. If you know, Pressing. They're not showing intent. Anyway, just going back to the Christmas period, in terms of the injuries, uh, we've got a couple of... Uh, charts that we were looking at who had the busiest treatment room uh in terms of the most injuries over the well during the festive period we actually it wasn't that bad i mean our four was kind of average newcastle had nine i think they had was it five in one game against leicester four or five against leicester yeah they made three subs before half time didn't they 
Yeah, they just uh, took a battering. So they're on, uh, I mean, that's just going to add to their, because they're in a bit of a spiral at the moment, along with Bournemouth. Bournemouth had six as well. Funny enough, they are second in terms of the most injuries over the Christmas period. And then you've got Chelsea, uh, Crystal Palace, Southampton on five before uh, Villa and uh, four or five other teams kick in with four. But the problem is, is the length of how players, uh, how long they're out for. And when you look at that, if you do total days missed by all those injured over the festive period, or, you know, the the expected days they're going to be out, there's nobody close to Villa. Villa are like over, coming up to about 500 days. So uh, the closest, I think, is Arsenal. And that's like half, half of that. So everybody else has had minor injuries. For example, Newcastle, even though they had nine men injured over for that Christmas period, they're in combined. They're only expected to be out for just like over sixty days, and that's combined. So they're like out for a week or two here and there. Yeah, they're getting niggles. We're getting career-threatening injuries, which uh, is that is bad luck in one respect. I mean, you know, they're talking about there's a global complaint about fixture congestion over the Christmas period, which is you know fair enough on one hand, but this has always been the way of the English football way. Yeah. I mean, I get that, but it is luck. I mean, you look at the McGinn incident against Southampton, the Wesley one, the Tom Heaton one's just a freak accident. It's like, that yeah. is just bad luck. You just hope these... the tide sort of turns our favour in, you know, in 2020 because we can't afford to keep not getting breaks without trying to sound too sorry for ourselves. But if you you would class, if you class Wesley, if you talk about the top five Villa players or most important players, I think you'd have to class Wesley in that league in terms of his potential and the fact that he's the most expensive signing. So, And he's actually he's, ever, he's ever, he's ever present, isn't he, in the league? So in that respect, you've got McGinn, you've got Wesley and Heaton. I think they're three of the five, and then you throw in Grealish and, and Mings, and that's your top five Villa players, I would say. Well, that's your spine, isn't it, basically? Yeah, and so we've got more than half of the spine out. And that is a big concern. And it's not just out injured at this moment. I mean, McGinn, I'm considering that as the season is out because when he comes back, if he comes back, it'd be late March. And then it's we've got some difficult games after that. And the ones that are going to determine whether we're going to be in this league or not next season is really uh, how we perform January to March. That's going to be the foundation. Yeah, we're going to have to finish strongly. Yeah, I mean, what would you? I mean, would you agree, Phil, that if we were to continue with a squad we've got left fit, we would be down this this season? It's 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 on a knife edge. It's it's really on a knife edge at the minute because I look up and I see Bournemouth. I mean, Bournemouth are exactly where we are. They are without a decent performance, you know, to look back on. Newcastle, I think they're in a false position because of a couple of grinded 1-0 victories that, albeit we couldn't do it, but, you know, they can't keep that up forever. I mean, Dubravka, the keeper, he's faced the most shots in the league or he's made the most saves in the league. And I, I honestly thought that would be us considering how weak our midfield can be. Yeah. So those are those are two. And then I think Norwich are just too far out of touch unless they surprise me as well. Yeah. Um, so that's that's. I think when hope. you compare Norwich to Watford and Southampton, Watford and Southampton have actually the majority of the players have formed a team that have actually performed well in the Premier League in the last few years. You know, Watford have got it to FA Cup finals and semi-finals. Southampton have got to League Cup finals, so they're like decent teams. And all they needed to do was, you know, get back to basics, as I said, and get their shit together. And you can see them surviving. They had like almost like cosmetic problems and now they've kind of sorted them out while we are vulnerable Norwich I think are vulnerable as you say Newcastle vulnerable Bournemouth vulnerable just going back to your Newcastle goalkeeper thing one thing that Smith says a lot now is uh Neyland hardly had a shot to save Heaton you know hardly had a shot to save which uh that suggests that 
the defence is kind of doing something, even though we have been shipping goals. But, I mean, we'll see how that pans out. That's just a generalisation. But in the last few games, uh, I don't think we're conceding that amount of shots on target, put it that way, which means that the heat and miss is not that drastic as long as we you know, get the uh, the midfield sorted out because I think the defence in that uh, 3-4-3 will work uh, okay. It's good enough. Yeah, well, Nealand never played behind um, probably a couple of recognised centre-backs. There was always Chester and A and other. Yeah, so that, that, it? that might help him. Yeah. Mm. Or Hutton. <laughs> That's a good point. I think having Mings in, in front of him will uh, be a massive help. Well, it's a two-way thing of confidence, isn't it? They'll have a little bit more confidence in him, you would hope. And he'll definitely have more confidence in what's, you know, in front of um, what's protecting him. I think it, the, the big thing defensively is we have to defend better as a unit. I actually think the back four or back five are very capable. But it's you look at what's in front and it's like, well, do you trust Nakamba or Louise to be spoilers? You know, it's it's definitely not Hurahan's game. It's it's Louise wants to be a sort of a ball-playing kind of midfielder. Nakamba, I'm not quite sure what his role is yet. He has moments. Um, I think he'll be someone you probably see next season, whatever league we're in, becoming a better player. But there's yeah. just there's too many people still finding their feet, for my liking. Yeah, which is a problem because the teams that are tipped to go down and stay up, like your Albions and Leicesters, uh, in, in past uh, seasons, it's because they were tough to beat and, and organised. And that's I think I'm still putting Villa in with the Bournemouths and Norwiches, where they look a bit soft at the moment, and, and Newcastle, if you want. And that is my concern. So uh, I'm hoping uh, we get a threat up front. That you know actually gives us a bit of edge that takes the pressure off the defence, so they can actually uh, get on with their jobs and solidify rather than being under pressure because uh, we're not actually scoring. Well, we've, I mean, we've we've scored this season. It's just not, we don't we, we don't con- carry a constant threat, if you know what I mean. We, we're not putting teams under constant periods of pressure because we just don't have the ball, yeah. and then of mm. course that be, that means we end up putting pressure on our back four to not concede, or as especially since. So- well, really all season. We've been starting most games a goal down. Yeah, I mean, just to finish off uh, this week, we're just kind of getting back into the swing of things here. Chris Ramussen, uh, one of the uh, patrons, did send in a chart, which is essentially a, uh, are we going to stay up or not? It's a bit like cricket. It's a bit like it's, golf. It's, a run, it's a run rate, isn't it, basically? It's a run rate or it's like a par for the course. For example, uh, I think the rationale behind this is uh, when you look over the years, at what kind of points, what kind of level sends you down. I think it's 36. If you get below 36, you're pretty much down 100% guaranteed. If you get over 42 or you're 42 or over, that's pretty much the safe, guaranteed safe mark. I think the uh, the mythology is it's 40 is the benchmark, but I think 42 pretty much guarantees your safety. So anywhere between 42 and 36 is obviously a danger zone. So he's plotted a graph with a blue line, which obviously shows you 42 points then the progress of uh, what you would get across those fixtures if you're going to end up on 36 uh, and then as you see that zone bit and obviously track what we've got at this moment I think we've only been above the green line the safety line of uh, 42 I think after we beat Brighton that was the only time we went above it I think we've been level when we beat Newcastle but uh, we've been below the 36 line West Ham Arsenal when we drew against Burnley that kind of period I mean this is obviously early days in the season but after that Sheffield United uh, results and then the loss against Southampton that's when we 
dropped after you know almost half the season's gone by against Norwich we actually that win took us level with the 36 point mark the defeat against Watford dropped us under it so we were heading for relegation uh, as the league table showed us uh, af- after Watford Burnley's kind of got us a couple of points off uh, the actual uh, 42 line so we've got a lot of work to do but uh, if you go on the website well, I think we'll uh, update it and uh, keep you in touch with uh, he's called it the Villa Stay or Villa Go meter but I think it's Villa relegated or not meter is probably a bit catchier but uh, as we stand we are two points below the required safety mark so a lot of work to do especially we've got Manchester City coming up so we're going to drop a little bit but uh, I don't know I think it's going to go to the wire it's real touch and go situation here yeah just because when you look down the fixtures you, you don't at the moment see where sort of three four plus wins back to back come from you know you put two three wins together even at this stage of the season and it does pull you right away from it but yeah as we've seen you lose three on the bounce or as we you know we had a, when we beat Newcastle that was sandwiched between two really bad runs of defeats it, it just you it just it, it's this thing of you know like when the Albion stayed upon the last day it was because they'd been accumulating draws they weren't losing because we're not we're just not accumulating points at a quick enough rate our problem is we're not getting enough draws because <laughs> if you look at how many wins we've had Pretty much most of the league have had the same amount of wins. I mean, we are, until Arsenal beat Manchester United, I think we have the same amount of wins as Arsenal. I think we have more, same amount of wins as Wolves. I mean, it would help if yeah. I actually got got the league table. I mean, how many, how many times have we said, you know, come May, are we going to regret throwing away the lead at Arsenal, not beating 10-man West Ham, not beating Burnley, you know, all these games against 10 and men? Yes, because all the other teams have accumulated more draws, the same amount of wins as us, but it's all about how many draws you, it's basically about how many times you haven't been beaten this season. Yeah. It's, it's boiled down to that. It's a, a certain amount of pragmatism, isn't it? Where you go, well, do you know what? We might we might not have enough to go and win the game today, but let's make it. You know, like the Liverpool game was a prime example. We didn't probably deserve to win that game, but we sure as shit didn't deserve to lose it either. And we gifted Liverpool two goals in the last three minutes or whatever it was. Games like that, Arsenal the same. Phil mentioned earlier on that the two things Dean Smith said that I recall. The third is when you one nil up, we always go to score another goal. What did you think of that at the time? As in, the best way to win a game is to go and score another goal. Half of me thought, yeah, I like that kind of gunner who attitude, but this, but part of me thought that kind of feels like it's going to bite you in the in the ass because it is a bit naive and it's actually so far from what we've seen this season it's been the wrong approach I mean what, what's your thoughts on that yeah I mean it's it's just as you said it it, it is the right attitude until you there, there's a point of no return is it 80 minutes is it 85 minutes that's when it's like right last night would be Waylon Yednak somebody you you need somebody on that just goes right lads calm down you know no stupid passes. The ball goes out. The ball goes long. And to be honest, I think against Burnley that you saw that point in the players. I mean, it was just after Heaton went off. They sort of brought it on early. It was right. I mean, apart from Kodja, who just went a couple of crazy runs. But other than that, it was right. Knuckle down here. Just just say it out. It, you send it. It goes into the corners. Just anything to, to eat yeah, the I remember last up. season, uh, Villa being in the, being 1-0 ahead or 2-1, one, one goal ahead, going into the you know dying embers of the game. Players kind of trying to get an attack going, but, you know, dilly-dallying around. And then McGinn taking the ball off his own player, running it down to the corner flag, occupying three or four players trying to get the ball off him and just basically sticking his ass in the air and running down the clock. And he thought, he gets it. He gets um, it. What game was it? It might have been, was it the Blackburn or maybe the Millwall one when we did the 10th... the 10th win and he picked the ball up on the 
kind of the right by the the, uh, the dugouts by the Trinity Road, and he literally ran diagonally across the field. And everyone's like, <laughs> "Is he going to pass it?" Oh no, no, he's just he's literally just taking. He's like bollocks to this. I'm off. I'm taking my ball with me. Yeah. And the whole and, and the whole ground just sort of stopped. I was like, "Is he doing this?" Even the opposition were like, "Surely, oh, he is. He's actually going to do this." And just and no one ran with him because they were just like, "Oh, all right, fair enough." It's, it's it's having that sort of mentality of we don't need to get the the, the next goal. It's let's just kill the game. In rugby terms, it's like as long as it's in, in in the opposition's final third, they can't hurt you. And what happened against when we've been down to ten men? We Arsenal were one 0 up at halftime, and we're playing ten men. So we, I think, we we're still a bit gun ho there because that was the attitude. Right, let's get the second goal. But we we didn't do it in any fashion. It wasn't like right, just let's just wear them down. We've got forty five minutes to wear them down, and we'll score another in the last you know fifteen minutes. Let's just kill the game. Let's make it bland, boring. Just keep the ball and just frustrate them. That didn't happen. Yeah, got I mean, Gr- Grealish is the perfect Grealish is the perfect player to do that. But it's just it never seems to to get to him. It always goes to the like the player you wanted to go to least. It's like Nakamba picks it out maybe thirty yards from his own goal, and he's he's looking up and his head's up and he's looking forward, and it's like you just know where it's going. Or Koji gets it. Yeah, it turned into a firefight and. You look at the example of Watford, where we, I mean, we were getting trolleyed in that game. We were 1-0 down, and we never looked like we were going to get anything from that game. And then suddenly we got a gift, a bit of petulance, and suddenly they're down to 10 men. And you're thinking, well, we're going to get, we potentially could get away with murder here. And the reaction was this fucking gun home bollocks. There was no method or uh, strategy about it. It was sloppy. And suddenly they were, you know, they, they were suddenly three against two, like several times, outnumbering us at the back. And you think, just just have some patience here. There's, there was still a chunk of the game left. You didn't have to be, you know, sloppy and throw caution to the wind. It's just be a bit, you know, patient and let's just break them down if it's a draw I take a fucking draw there can't be a coincidence that we've been consistently shit against 10 men it's like I don't is it a mental thing is it a tactical thing that we can't seem to play against a team that are a man down are they just better are they better drilled than us because we no, we mentioned earlier on about the unluckiness about the length of these injuries that we've picked up over the festive period but if you tell me at the start of the season in the first half of the season, we will play four teams down to 10 men and be in decent positions. Play, I mean, not every team this season has, has had the opposition had men sent off four times. So that is like you'd take that every day. You'd say, yeah, actually, Villa are going to survive here because, you know, if, if we're going to be, we're surely going to get a whole host of points. We've only managed to get four out of a total of 12, which uh, is ridiculous considering uh, the Arsenal one, we're 1 0 up at half time. Well, you deserve what you get. And the fact that yeah. just as the cherry on top, we've missed all our penalties this season. Yeah, so it's not kind of bad luck that we found ourselves in this situation. Well, it's the thing of some of it's bad luck, but a Villa earning their own luck? Absolutely not. They don't. Now, there's been moments where we haven't deserved a break at all because we've been so stupid. Like Tottenham was a, Tottenham away. You know, the, the first game of the season has summed up how we've played throughout the season. Moments of brilliance and then just moments of stupidity. But let's just bring this to a close. Uh, our future now is in the lap of the January transfer window, would you agree? Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, just to finish off, give, give me a reason to be cheerful, Phil. Well, I'm a big fan. It's not scientific, but of managers stumbling upon a winning formation. Um, I look at the examples of Conte when he won the league with Chelsea, yeah. stumbled upon it. Lambert, when he kept this up the first season, I mean, after losing that semi-final to Bradford, we were awful. All of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but he just got it and it carried on until the start of the next season. So I'm hoping that Burnley was Smith. Maybe I'm not giving them enough credit and that's my fault, but 
Yeah. Something, just a series of events that he stumbles upon the right one. Chris, reason to be cheerful. I look at the bottom 10, and I include us in that as well, but I look at the bottom 10 and think there's a hell of a lot of dross in this division. Yeah. And I think if if we can't find three teams that are worse than us, we, we really don't deserve to be in this division because we've got some really good players that other teams in that in our, in similar positions would kill for someone like Grealish or a Mings or even like you know McGeehan. So I think we've got in, we've got enough to stay up. It's it's whether we've got it between our ears. All right. Oh yeah, I've got a small announcement. My old man said mugs will be available soon. I'm just waiting for samples so I can uh, check there up to the necessary quality requirements to be a mile man said mug so look out for those they'll be on the shop soon please do uh, spread the word on the podcast as I've said if you listen on Spotify follow it there Apple uh, please do drop us a, uh, a review uh, as other potential listeners will obviously be looking on there too and give it a follow on there until next time as always thank you very much for listening and it's good to be back we will be in the regular flow now so it's It's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans